Welcome to the Reggie McNeil Podcast, where we explore what it means to seek God's kingdom here on earth. Join us on our journey to become more aware of and encouraged by God's work in and around us. Welcome to the Reggie McNeil Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Barton, and I'm here with Reggie McNeil. In our last episode, you observed that Jesus showed greater concern for bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth than merely getting people from earth to heaven. So how does this dynamic play into Jesus's establishing the church? Yeah, well, I I want to say right off the bat, uh, Jesus didn't come to establish the church. That was, I mean, I grew up, by the way, with, uh, I think, that understanding that Mm -hmm. that's what Jesus came. He came to you know, die on the cross, and so we could, you know, get forgiven and go to heaven, but, um, and he established the church, but that's really not <clears throat> Jesus' mission. Uh, he came to reveal the kingdom. Now, he establishes the church with a specific role in mind as part of his revelation of the kingdom. Uh, the one time that he talks about the church is the establishment of it. He talks about the kingdom of heaven over 90 times, he talks about church uh, twice. It's the same thing repeated in two of the Gospels. And uh, so when he establishes the church, though, it's even that, and he talks about the church, it's in the backdrop of the kingdom. I mean, it's uh, the, the episode is they're, you know, they're pulled over to rest area, whatever. They're on a, a rest stop. And Jesus says, what, you ask his guys, what, what are they saying about me out there? And um, so they give him a few answers. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John. You know, and then he says, "Well, who do you say I am?" And and you know, Pete pipes up, "You know, you're the Christ." The, to quote, use King Jimmy language, "Son of the Living God." And um, and and Jesus replies back, "Well, you you got it right, Pete. You had a little help, you know, but uh, you got it right." And then he's and then he goes on to establish the church on on this foundational belief. And Rock, he says, and I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and the stuff that you bind up here and the stuff that you lose here. All of this is rabbinic speak. I didn't understand that, you know, growing up. But you, you got to get back into the first century world to understand what's going on in all that uh, discourse. Um, when a disciple of a rabbi, whether it was Shammai or Gamaliel, whoever, um, reached a certain level that the rabbi thought his disciple got it, then the rabbi would give that disciple a key. Literally, it was something they had. It was physical. You, you could know someone's worldview, their, um, their opinion about Scripture, about the afterlife, about you know uh, Jewish laws and tradition, whether it's food or whatever. You, you could know all that from just simply seeing their key because you would know that system of thought is who they'd been schooled by. Well, the disciples had just passed the final exam. You know, Peter says, you're the Christ. And so, uh, you know, they've reached a certain level. And Jesus says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Now, whether or not he handed out anything, you know, but metaphorically, as the rabbi, he's saying to all, and, you know, I want you to have my key. Well, what would Jesus' key be but the heaven, about, I mean, about the kingdom of heaven, because that's what he talked about. That's what he lived. That's how he did. So, and he says, and, and everything that you do is going to reflect on, uh, you, you need to live out kingdom values and kingdom uh, desires 
and kingdom uh, kinds of expectations and, and, and style. You need to live that out because whatever you show folks is what they're going to get. That's what they think it is. Now, he uses a word. He doesn't invent the word church. I mean, it's a word right out of that. And uh, again, if you understand the first century world, the ecclesias of these uh, uh, of these villages typically were elders, and they were charged with the well-being of the village, so that when the uh, ecclesia gathered, they were discussing community issues and all that kind of stuff. It would make no sense for that ecclesia to suddenly say, you know, we're the point of it all. I mean, the village exists so we can have an ecclesia. Are you kidding? I mean, you know, uh, or you should be at our ecclesia meeting. I mean, it was fabulous. I mean, we had a, uh, I mean, the town's going to, you know, Hades, but we're, we're having great, uh, we're in a six-week series. I mean, none of that makes sense if you understand what's going on in the first century. So Jesus borrows that image, and he says, I'm, I'm appointing you as elders to look after this kingdom that I'm saying is already here. That's your job. And so the church has one job. It's not hard. What is that AT&T commercial right now? It's not complicated. I mean, we have made it complicated, but it's not hard. And it's not about our survival and about the church's, you know, uh, vision and, and life and all that. The church has one job, and that's to point this world to the kingdom, to another way of living, to another life than what most people are experiencing. And uh, and so that, that's, that's why uh, a church-centric uh, view, which puts all of the emphasis and and scorecard on the church uh, is is really an errant uh, is a misunderstanding of our mission. So when you talk about the church, what exactly do you have in mind? The institution or something else? Yeah, well, obviously, I've got uh, there are institutional manifestations like of of any movement or anything. But I, when I talk about the church, I try to go back to its core identity, which, by the way is a narrative that goes all the way back to Genesis 12, where God creates a people. It's the call to Abraham. The church, those elders, those... It's clearly, when Jesus chooses 12, that's not disciples. It's not like, you know, that's as many seats as we have on the bus, you know, or whatever. I mean, he's setting up the new Israel. The You know, he, he's... So it's Abraham's uh, call that's still uh, the, the, the initial covenant that God forms with Abraham and then what Abraham's job was. So God says to Abe, I'm going to bless you. Your job is to turn around and bless the world. Well, uh, Israel struggled with that. Their entire being the, uh, the, the, it was always the tension between the priests and the prophets. The priests would also always set up religion. The prophets would always come in and say, but we have a mission here in the world. And, and so it was always, and Jesus clearly comes down on the prophet side. Uh, he's 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 identified in that regard, and so uh, he he's he. I, I think then to think of the church in any other terms besides its basic relationship, we are the people of God. Um, that's the biggest narrative of the whole thing, and that's the narrative I think we stepped into. But as the people of God, we have a role to play. It just it doesn't mean we're the people of God, so we are in, you're out. No, the church is the people of God partnering with him in his redemptive mission in the world. I mean, there's a responsibility 
of what it means to be the people, not just privilege. Uh, in fact, we are privileged to be responsible, uh, to actually know what's going on, to uh, to to be co-conspirators with God in in the you know advent of His kingdom. And so, um, you know, that, that's our job, really. Is He's decided to cut us in on the deal as partners. Does He need us? No. Uh, but God decided to do it this way. He wasn't going to do it by himself. And, um, I mean, the first uh, 11 uh, chapters of Genesis, you get God kind of operating in this solo manner with different things with Noah or, or the gardener. Since Genesis 12, God's decided he's going to work through humanity to the point that he assumes human flesh and comes and walks among us and says, I want you, this is what I have in mind for you. So um, I think I, I, when I think of the church, I think of of of, of us in our relational uh, our our relationship with God, but our relationship to the world as people of covenant to bless the world. So you write um, and speak about our need to move from this church centric to kingdom centric ministry paradigm for the church. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, I think uh, it's particularly those of us who are 500 years into the Reformation. Um, uh, we we've had centuries now of trying to fix the church, uh, and everything has been uh, focused on uh, getting the church right. And then when you marry the church to American marketing, and then you start having, and the scorecard becomes how many people you have at church and the success of your programs and all of that, then you, you, and, and then that gets wedded to the congregation and a congregation that is growing and, and it can pull off uh, programmatic wins is deemed a, a good healthy church and, and, you know, smaller churches are, are less or whatever. When you, when you begin to confuse all that and you begin to just focus all your efforts, like on church renewal, church health, church everything, church vision, church growth, church, whatever you put in there, the emphasis is on the church. And I'm saying that God's mission in the world is not to grow the church. I mean, Jesus said, I'll take care of the church. Your, your, your job is to point people to the kingdom. That's supposed to be our focus of our mission. In, in many ways, the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. And God's mission is the kingdom. And it has a people who are responsible for pointing people to that mission. And if we make it all just about how people are related, I mean, I grew up in a world, and it's not, it still operates, where you prove your commitment you know, to Jesus primarily through your church expression. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, you know, but church as institution, uh, you know, has those kinds of, of overtures and, and all, then it can get pretty um, pretty fuzzy about you know is this uh, are we converted to Jesus or are we converted to the church um, have we turned from our world or have we basically married uh, you know worldly stuff into a church expression and then if it grows and takes off and multiplies and franchises uh, then uh, that's a sign of God's obvious blessing I think we miss something in there I think the kingdom focus then says, all right, we're responsible for our community, just like the church that Jesus day. How can we even believe that we are being faithful to our mission 
if we say, yeah, well, our attendance is up 100 this year. We've had a good year. We met budget. We met all our church goals. But the rates of divorce went down. Murders went up. Uh, you know, uh, crime, uh, uh, families fell apart. You know, all, I mean, more people are on opioid uh, addiction. People are hating each other more. They're dividing into camps right and left. I mean, I, it, it seems crazy that uh, that we would say that, well, we'll just take our own measure of health and success uh, if we're okay. doesn't matter what, the, uh, what condition the town's in. So I think a kingdom-centric uh, focus forces you to be steward of much more than, and that then calls you out to play with other followers of Jesus who in other congregations now, instead of being a competitor with first whatever, you know, and second whatever, now you are you are the body of Christ in a town, supposedly looking after the kingdom benefits in that town. So what are some practical ways that church leaders could center more on this kingdom-centric approach? And conversely, if people are searching for a church or a missional community or whatever, how can they identify whether or not they're kingdom-centric or not? Uh, well, the answer to, uh, is a great question, and it's a twofold answer, but they're related. To the leader first, um, I would say nothing short of a, church, a culture change is going to pull this off. Mm -hmm. This can't be the fall program. It's not a new emphasis. This is a major shift. This is as big a shift as the move from a Ptolemaic universe to a Copernican universe. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, the, the center of gravity changes. The kingdom, I mean, the church, in the church-centric world, the church is the center of gravity, uh, you know, and all the activities and all the programs that I spin around the church. When the kingdom center, you, you move the kingdom into that, then the church moves to a, a, a lesser spot. It's not, it's not the center of the universe. It has a role to play, but the, the kingdom is. So you've got to pull off a huge culture change. And I'll tell you, there are, there are three things you have to do, and you don't get a pass on... Two out of three. You have to do all three of these. You have to change the story, first of all. The narrative, in other words. What is the narrative of your church? Your con Let's just say this is a congregational expression. You, you have to change. What are we about? Are we about being a great congregation? Can we crow about, you know, we've got the finest this or that. Our food's great. Our customer service is great. We have valet parking and you can't believe the music. Or is it about, you know, the narrative of God's story? and what he's up to in our community and how we're partnering with that. And I know this is not either or, uh, because you are going to have to talk about it. So, I mean, I'm not that naive, but the point is, what is the big plot? You know, what what captures 90% of your talk? I mean, you, you can tell. You can tell if folks are in it for them or we're really here for everybody else and how we spend our money, uh, what we talk about, all those kinds of things. Second thing that you have to change is the scorecard. Uh, in the church central world, it's all church, you know, it's church statistics. How many people come to church? How often do they come? How much money do they bring? Uh, you know, how, uh, you know, just on and on and on. How many people participate in our programs? Uh, is this program doing well? In fact, even at, at church leadership conferences, we talk about programs as if they're people. I mean, I, I, I keep trying to tell church leaders all the time, God is not in the church business. He's in the people business. And that's what the business, that's the business we're supposed to be in. So when we refer to our churches, 
and all uh, in as a con you know connection of programs and stuff. Somehow we've missed this. For instance, I'll even ask pastors sometimes, how many better marriages do you have in your church than you did last year? And they look at me like I've got one eye in the middle of my head. And 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 you know, and I'm saying, well, and they say we don't know that. I mean, well, why don't we know that? I mean, if 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 God's intentions are that people enjoy good, I, mean, I promise you, people who are married care about that. They care about whether or not they have a good relationship with their kids. Why don't we ask that question? They care about whether or not they have a better outlook on life or if they're depressed or they're anxious stuff. Why don't we ask that question? How many more depressed people do we have than we did last year? Uh, who, who, who's dealing with the demons of, of uh, you know, of, of whatever, whatever oppression there is, whether it's uh, addiction or, or psychological stress, whatever? No, we don't use people metrics, and that betrays, I think, uh, a lack of, of real attention to the to the main business. The third thing you have to change, not I alliterate this so it'd be easy for me to remember. So you change the story and you change the scorecard, you have to change again your stewardship. That's the leadership. What do you think you're responsible for? Which means when I do hand hand combat with church leaders and I'm thinking them and working with them through things, we talk about, you know, how they spend their time, where they're you know, their own personal scorecards uh, you know, what are, what investments are they making in the community? What relationships do they have with other church leaders? What relationships do they have with leaders in other efforts? I mean, other sectors of their society. Uh, so because, you know, most of the stuff that we really need to deal with, the big societal issues in America, come down to a cross-domain concern. It takes more than just one person barking over here to get something done. You got to work with education and business and politics and you know healthcare across the board, whatever it is. So I think those now now for the individual member, I would look for a place within to to use your conversely that I would look at is the story I'm hearing from these people about the kingdom or about how fabulous they are and how great this place is. And how privileged it is to be a part of this. And don't you want to tell your friends so they can be all right? And I'm not arguing the church should be bad. I'm just saying. But what is the main story? Uh, and what what gets celebrated? Because that's what the scorecard is. That's what gets celebrated. So I would pay attention to that, and I would want to be around people that feel some responsibility for the kingdom, uh, for the community as an expression of their commitment to the kingdom, uh, rather than you know uh, we're building this magnificent tower that's going to reach heaven, uh, you know, uh, come with us. I mean, what do we think that story is about? Uh, so um, I would be nervous of climbing on anyone else's tower, uh, you know, Babel. So I, I think uh, that's what I would look for. You say we are seeing the rise of the post-congregational church. Does that reflect a growing kingdom awareness? You know, I think it does, and I'll tell you why. We've had basically in the Western church, uh, for the last 1,700 years, we've had one way of doing church. We've had one quiver in our, you know, one arrow in our quiver, and that's the congregation. Now, it wasn't the first life form in the taxonomy of the church. The first life form was the house church. And, uh, and so what we're seeing now, I think, in the move from church as institution uh, to church as movement uh, which is what the move from church-centric to kingdom-centric pulls off, whenever there's a new movement, there are new expressions that come to the fore. You know, uh, and I think we're seeing an expansion in the bandwidth of how church expresses itself. 
still congregations, fine, but there are millions of people in our own country and an increasing number of people, by the way, that are not susceptible to being congregationalized in their spiritual journeys. Their life rhythms don't match the congregation. Maybe they work on Sunday. Maybe they, uh, you know, they, they, they're they gone uh, three weeks out of the year traveling, or, I mean, or out of the month traveling. Maybe I mean, there are all kinds of reasons that the congregational every seven-day rhythm just doesn't fit their life anymore. And, um, and so I'm, I'm seeing church um, as restaurant. Uh, now, now, by the way, I know there are people listening to the podcast that, you know, from a church-centric world, we decide what, what's a real, a real church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking about what the church is, not a church. Uh, and the church is an expression of the people of God partnering with him in his redemptive mission. So I see people who are, uh, you know, pursuing church as restaurant there, they're pursuing churches, their business. I, I, I won't use names here because these, you know, businesses, go, uh, I, I'm not trying to get folks uh, distressed with people that may not see it the way they do. But I, I sat with business owners uh, not long ago. They had thousands, 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 thousands. They are the biggest uh, company in their industry in North America. And they said to me, our business is our church. And they literally build communities for their workers. And, and I don't mean this in a spooky kind of way, like The Circle or whatever that novel was or, uh, or whatever, um, but I'm talking about to give people who are working in minimum wage, I mean, who can't get stuff that, you know, that a lot of people can by virtue of the wealth that they've inherited or comes down to them or the jobs they have, because you're not going to get much of a mortgage at $15 an hour. And so, uh, so I mean, they literally build communities. Uh, they set pastors up in the communities for these folks, uh, you know, along with schools, along with health clinics and stuff like that. Now, you know, in fact, uh, my granddaddy uh, came out of the mill village of Georgia, North Georgia, which had some, a little bit back then, the mills kind of did the same thing. They built housing uh, and they had a mill store and, you know, everything got charged to your account in the mill. I mean, uh, it, it, it can feel uh, constricting, but it gave people a chance to move up from a certain level of life. And, and you know, because people came out of that mill village and went on main lives, like my, my own family. So uh, my, my point being is these folks are poor. Now, uh, you know, they are seeing, they are churching. They see church as a verb. Maybe that's the best way to say it. It's not a thing. It's a way of being in this world. Uh, they church their way through their business. Uh, I'm seeing churches, sports club. I'm seeing just a wide range. So I think, and it's missional communities. It's people. I, I'm thinking of one church that multi-sided through um, uh, beginning being mentors in uh, multiple schools in their district nine, to be exact. Uh, and this is in a non-Bible Belt state, uh, so. I'm not talking about, I mean, what, I'm talking California here. Where, so they were able, through serving very well, to gain the respect of the school system, and they provided a bunch of stuff. And now they're even thinking about a network of, of missional communities that are that is literally dispersed along the spine uh, or the network, not a single spine, of uh, the web of those relationships in those nine places where they have people that are mentoring every day. I think it's brilliant. I think the network church is where we had COVID 
has pushed us, you know, the church out onto the street. And I think we're going to be looking for new ways for the church to exist, not just in digital form, in internet, you know, which is a lot of that is still just taking what's going on in the building and pushing it out. But but people are literally figuring out how to love their neighbors uh, and, and serve their communities and are creating, uh, churching their way through every aspect of their life. What are some implications for kingdom-centric living for those of us who identify as Jesus followers? Well, I think, um, and I want to talk about that. That's a good segue into our, our final podcast in this series. Because if this doesn't have personal implications, it's still just left up to you know theological in, inquiry and reflection. Uh, when in fact, I think it means that you and I, if we profess to follow Jesus then we have said he is our king and his kingdom is because it's important to him uh, it's important to us i mean that would be like being married and you don't care what's important to your you know husband wife no if if you're married you the stuff that gets important to one gets important to both if it's a healthy relationship and there's communication well that means then that i've got to figure out how i am a person of blessing, you know, partnering with God in his redemptive mission right in my own world. And and I, I'd like to unpack that a little bit in our next episode. Sounds good. Well, thank you for joining us. You can find more of Reggie's work on his website, reggiemcneil.org, or on Facebook and Twitter at Reggie McNeil. Stay tuned for the next episode on The Kingdom and You.